Well, hey, all you wiretappers out there, Gary Jenkins, retired Kansas City Police Intelligence Detective. I've got a story about Tommy Karate. And I know a lot of people like Tommy Karate. I got some of this from that Philip Carlos book. And I know that a lot of people quibble about that. And I found some other and some other places, but I put together this story about one of the murders that he did. I tell you, that guy was a killer. He was a cold-blooded killer. There was once a New York kid named Billy Bright, and he had partnered up with a guy named Frank Ganji, who was a mafia legacy. Frank Ganji, his father, his uncles, his cousins, they were all members or associates of the Bonanno family. And his cousin, Ross Ganji, was a capo in the Genovese family. Frank Ganji was a career mafia associate. You know, he was kind of an interesting guy. He he looked like a chain-smoking, skinny, recovering drug addict that worked as a short-order cook. Real unassuming. He had a gift of gab, though, and he was always ready to help, and everybody liked him. And he had partnered with this Billy Bright, who really knew, I I don't really know anything about him other than he fell with Tommy Karate in the end and did some time in the penitentiary out of Tommy Karate's narcotics network. They, the three of them, Billy Bright, Frank Ganji, and a guy named Arthur Gubinaro were selling hundreds of pounds of pot every week in New York. Gubinaro had several brothers who were all in the life and in and around the life. They weren't particularly, they were, nobody was a mob member, was a member of a family in New York. They were freelancers. And Gubinaro started freebasing cocaine, and he was known to be a kind of a guy that would steal from people and and he became unreliable, and he started stealing from the pot business. And and Billy Bright and Frank Ganji went to their stash house and lured him over there where there wasn't anybody around and shot him. Well, these two guys, there are no Tommy Karate's. They are not aggressive killers because they started shooting at him, and this guy took off running and got out and runs into a arms of a patrolling police car with a whole bunch of bullets in him and dies in their arms. And his dying declaration was Frank Gonzi and Billy Bright did this. Well, you know, wasn't for bad luck. They wouldn't have any luck at all. After a trial, the jury found them not guilty of the murder, but they found both of them guilty of possession of weapons. They both did a year. Right after they released Gubinero's brother, a guy named Louis Bob. I don't know why he had a different last name, but it was his brother. He was starting announcing around the neighborhood. He, he had a contract for the death of these two guys who killed his brother. He would, he would pay money to see them killed. And he probably tried to do it himself. Gonzi and Bright heard about this threat. Well, now, Billy Bright had done business with Tommy Patera. You know, he's a longtime drug dealer, made a lot of money for the Bonanno family. They went to Tommy Karate Patera for help. Well, at this time, Patera was, he was a really, it's 1986. Tommy Patera, who Tommy Karate heard, heard me say Tommy Karate. He was a, a karate expert, if you don't know. Most people know who he is. He was a real well-respected Bonanno soldier and a really good earner for the family and a good killer for the family. They even loaned him out to the Gambinos or to John Gotti to kill a Willie Boy Johnson, is my understanding. Frank Ganji will later help send Tommy Karate Patera to prison and a bunch of these other guys for life, basically. But at this point in time, he's pleading for Tommy Karate's protection. And so is Billy Bright. Patera knew an opportunity when he saw it and he wanted to take these guys in and make even more money with them, make them his guys. 
So he agreed he'd ask his capo, Anthony Sparrow, to mediate this dispute. And he recommended to Frank Ganji that he get his uncle, Russ Ganji, who was a Genovese captain, to come and speak up for him. Supposedly, Tommy said, then you'll have two families on your side. Now, this mediation of disputes between professional criminals is kind of what the mafia is all about. It started over in Sicily, and it still goes today. And what I understand, the American mafia over the years in the 60s, 70s, and 80s has really perfected this you know, accepted procedure. If you're a high enough level in the gangster world, whether you're a made guy or an associate or, or a freelancer or whatever, you're in that world, then you will attend one of these sit-downs You because the mafia is the law for the people who don't have the law. The dead guy here, Arthur Gubinanero, his brother named Louis Bob, was there and they reported he was sitting there seething with visible anger, but Bright and Ganji were, by this point in time, Tommy's brought him in and they were going to be good owner earners for him and the Bonanno family. Plus, Ganji's Genovese uncle was there on their sides. And needless to say, guess who wins? Tommy Karate wins. Anthony Spiro ordered the Gubinaro family to not kill Ganji and Bright. You know, they his word was law. They did it. Some around time around this time, he'll hook them up with an Israeli cocaine dealer, and they really take off in both the marijuana and the cocaine business. Now, Tommy Patera's man, Billy Bright, had been selling pretty a lot of weight of marijuana for a long time, and with all the connections he had, they they had this really good connection down in Texas, and they're bringing it up, and and I mean they were turning cold hard cash every week. And they liked that. Tommy Patera liked that. And a guy named Frank Michael Harrigan was in on the deal with them, and, and they were doing really well. Well, he had some connections to John Gotti Jr. and some people like that who maybe early on in the business, I never could figure out the details on this. But no matter how you cut it, whenever they were doing this, Tommy Patera got the lion's share. Everything's going smoothly, just like a finely tuned Swiss watch, but there was a guy named Greg Ryder who was particularly loud and particularly vulgar. He, he was an associate of John Gotti Jr., thought he, you know, like had the Gotti name behind him, and he went to this Frank Michael Harrigan and started making waves. Now, Greg Ryder, like I said, he was loud and vulgar and thought he had connections with the Gotti Jr., and the muscular, tough guy wore gold chains and drove a soup-up red sports car. I think it was a Corvette. And, you know, he was a brother of Mark Ryder, who was famously a real-deal Gotti associate. It was in the cocaine business with Gene Gotti and Angelo Quack Quack Rosario, if you know that famous case, that cocaine conspiracy that all of them fell on and Ryder's still in prison today. Gene Gotti just got out. He did about 35 or 40 years. And, and I don't remember what happened to Ruggiero. He's dead. And this Greg Ryder thought he had, had a good thing taken away from him unfairly. And he said he claimed that he developed this business with Harrigan and John Gotti Jr. and John A. Light of all people. And they were being squeezed out. So, you know, you never know what the what the real deal is here. It might be just him trying to muscle in and he has some had some old connection. And, but it, it doesn't really matter. Greg Ryder went to Harrigan and said, look, what you're doing here is unfair. I know you're with Patera now and everybody knows who Patera is and everybody's afraid of him. But there's basic right and wrong, you know, and what you're doing is wrong. 
This was our thing, man. We made it happen. We were friends. How could you do this? Of course, Harrigan, he's not going to do anything. He's in with Tommy Patera, and you know he'd have to get permission from Patera. Patera isn't going to give anything up easily. So writer's words basically fell on deaf ears. No matter how you cut it, Harrigan, he just, you know, he had this thing over him all the time. There's one guy who's had these other family connections is, is saying, you know, you're doing me wrong. And he can't, he can't double cross Tommy Patera. Tommy Patera had his talents deep in his business. And he, and there was no turning back as we all know, once you let a mob guy in business like that, you, if you got a pecker with, you may turn your back on him. But a mob guy like Tommy Karate Patera, you ain't going to turn your back on him. If you lied to him, if you cheated him, if you tried to do anything else, you'd be dead. And he's heard of Patera's burial ground. And supposedly Patera has his burial ground out in Nassau County. Well, supposedly he did. They ended up digging up a bunch of bodies out there in the end. But there were stories about how he cut people up, how he would get naked and get in a bathtub with them and, and cut them up. So, he, you know, and then he could just wash himself all off with the shower and everything. And, and you know, there's a lot of crazy stories about Tommy Karate Patera and how evil and mean and, and vicious and, and what a killer he was. So there's no way that Harrigan could in any shape, manner, or form undermine Tommy Karate's role in his pot business. And Greg Ryder had not really said anything offensive. He not really made any threats, but he opened this up. So finally, Harrigan went to Tommy Karate and said, you know, here's the deal. Found him at the Just Us Lounge, which was Karate's operation. We went outside. They did a walk and talk, is my understanding. Avenue S runs along there. You guys are from New York City. I think how we know this, DEA agents were all over it. And there's going to make a case on this and turn Ganji and, and convict Billy Bright. But as they walked and talked, DEA agent agents were watching him and taking pictures of him. And what they didn't know at the time was Michael's explaining to Patera that Greg Ryder has said that what he was doing wrong, doing business with Patera, and that he stole that business away from him. And Patera, you know, he muses it over. And he thinks, well... Let's let's talk about this. You know, I got an idea. Why don't you do this? Just set up a meeting with him and then I'll come. He said, we'll get this straightened out. Harrigan, you know, what's he going to do? You know, he's kind of, he's over his head. He's out of his depth. said, okay, you know, I'm not sure where this is going in his mind. He's a little bit apprehensive is my understanding. You know, he's thinking Greg Ryder might have a right to be unhappy, but he didn't really think that Patera would cause Greg any harm. He thought he'd just straighten him out and warn him off, you know, get him to reach, leave him, leave. Would He would get him to leave Harrigan alone and just not have to, he wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. So they all agreed to meet in the parking lot over here in Nassau County, Long Island, uh, uh, the other side of the, the bay or the creek or whatever, the, the river out there where the burial ground is. It's about 11 o'clock in the evening. Wasn't many people around. They were just in a parking lot. It was cold. And these guys meet, and they're there talking, and Patera drives up. Billy, he's got Billy Bright with him. What he didn't know, and nobody knew Bright was there as a backup gun just in case. 
Wright was a pot dealer and partners with Patera, but he was he had an interest in what was about to occur. Of course, they had the cocaine business, they had a lot of business going on. Tommy Patera, you know, he just doesn't put up with this. You know, you want to come around and and act like you got a piece of one of his guys, you know, that's the way the mob is. If I'm your guy, don't come around and think your guy or you got a piece of anything I'm doing. My guy, the mob guy, Tommy Patera, if it's him. He's got everything. He's got a piece of anything I do. So Tommy Patera gets there, gets out of the car, and he walks up, and he calmly explains to Michael off to the side that Greg Ryder's got to go. Sooner or later, he's going to become a problem. And, you know, you just nip in the bud. You rip that Band-Aid off right now. Harrigan didn't really particularly want to do that, but, you know, Tommy says, you know, looks over at him across the parking lot and says, there's a lot of money involved here. And we don't want those other people getting involved. He's going to bring in a light and, and Gotti jr. And, you know, you just don't know where it's going to go from there once you let him in. So we got to stop this right now. Patera says, you know, he says, just act normal, just act all normal. Go back over there and start talking to him. Red Corvette sitting over there, all comfortable and confident. And Harrigan, you know, he's like, he's shaking in his boots. And Ryder's still in his car. And he gets out, walks up to him and says, hey, you know, what's up? Before he can do anything, and before he can do anything, Tommy Patera pulls up a sawed-off shotgun and blasts him with double-op buck. Hits him right in the face and the neck and the collarbone. Blasts him into oblivion. It takes about half his face off. And believe me, double-op buck from a pretty close range will take your whole face off. I saw that. I saw a guy with that one time. His whole lower jaw was gone. It was the most macabre thing I'd ever seen. He blows off the guy's lower jaw. It's just, it was horrid. And, and he wasn't quite dead yet. Uh, Harrigan will report later that he looks up and he says, I thought we were friends. I thought we was friends. What's Harrigan going to do? He said, just points at Patera as though, you know, I, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I don't know what to say. And of course, the guy dies. And they put him in the trunk of Harrigan's car. And there's two shovels already there. Patera brought these shovels out. They all three of them bright. Patera and Harrigan drive out to this wildlife sanctuary in Nassau County, where there was many other Patera bodies buried. Cold March wind blowing through this. It's middle of the night. I mean, just think about it. The, the branches, there's no leaves on them, and they're like shaking and quivering, and, and wind's blowing off that Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> These guys are out there. Like, sounds like a scene out of the Sopranos or something, or the what was it the and the good fellas where they're digging that hole to kill that guy and that was right after he was wasn't quite dead in the trunk and they stabbed him. i mean this this shit happens this stuff is for real in that world they just dig and dig and it doesn't take for three of them there's two shovels and there's three of them they trade off probably a little bit and get a hole deep enough and dump him in and you know cover him up pat it all around probably have to probably have to mound it up a little bit so then because that what that dirt will settle and so you don't want to leave that kind of coffin size dip in the ground. You want to mound that up a little bit and it'll settle out flat, put a bunch of brush and stuff on top of it. I guess it's Michael Harrigan. He said he'd never forget quickly and how easy it was for Patera to move and take out this Greg Ryder in such a horrible manner. He said he'd never seen anything like it in the movies or anything else. He continues to do business with him. And he'll continue to hear all these stories. And somehow he ended up getting he ended up getting away from him. But in the end, 
he caught the case. He went down with him. He, he's, I don't know how long he went in the penitentiary for. He may still be in there, but he was named on the Tommy um, Patera et al. along with Billy Bright. A little postscript. Frank Ganzi wasn't on there because he testified at, at that trial. He goes in witness protection and testify against all these drug co-defendants. He actually was going to give a friend of mine, Ed Scarpo, God, I can't remember the name of his blog, but anyway, he was going to give him an interview. And the guy talked to him on the phone a couple of times, but Yancey finally backed out. And then I think he died. I mean, Patera is still in prison for life from all this dealing. He's selling paintings, if you didn't know. He'll do a painting and he'll put his uh, thumbprint on it and sign it. And uh, you know, I guess whoever you want, but he's, I've seen him on Facebook that uh, Marilyn Monroe and Lucky Luciano and other mob guys and, and things like that. And he'll write you a letter. I think they're, at one time there are 350 bucks either each when I first saw it. There's a uh, uh, Instagram page that you got to find. I don't remember exactly where it is. You can find it on Instagram, I'm sure. Billy Bright was killed in prison by the AB, is my understanding. I read this on Gangster's Bulletin Board. And the story was that Mark Ryder, who was the drug dealer with John Gotti and Quack Quack Rosario and Gene Gotti, the story is that he hired them to kill him because he blamed him and Tommy for shooting his brother's face off. But I noticed that he couldn't get the AB to kill Tommy Karate. Now, that's a bad dude. If that story is true, Never know if some of these kinds of things like this are true. If it's true, but they wouldn't kill Tommy Karate, then I don't know. Tommy Karate's the one that pulled the trigger there. This is amazing, the power that this Tommy Karate must exude to, to keep people that afraid of him. And, and I guess maybe the mob still has some pull inside the, the joints, a different the federal prison system. Although I don't know if anybody has any more power than the ABs. There may be a black group, but they're kind of splintered, I think. The Mexican mafia, maybe. But boy, the ABs, they got power. In that, that federal penitentiary system, they got power all across that whole system. So I don't know. Go figure. Anyhow, just another little story for you. Well, it should be a Halloween story, I think. And a little story of murder and the murder and the mob in New York City. And so I really appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. I like it whenever you give me likes and reviews and, you know, hit the, Subscribe button if you're on YouTube or subscribe to the podcast. So you, I've got a new one coming out every week. So many times I'll put out a bonus, a shorter episode during the middle of the week. And, you know, we're just rocking and rolling here. Don't forget, I like to ride motorcycles. So watch out for motorcycles when you're out there on the streets. And if you have a problem with PTSD, be sure and go to the VA website and get that hotline number. There's help available. Drugs and alcohol problems usually go hand in hand with PTSD. Anyhow, probably the, the VA has, has helped there. But if you're not in the VA, then go to Anthony Ruggiano, Gambino guy, knew Gotti well, knows all, he probably knows all these stories firsthand at the time. And he's got a website and he's got a YouTube channel and he's a drug and alcohol counselor and he's got a hotline. So be sure and get a hold of him or find that hotline number and you can get help with the real deal. Gambino's a member. I think it was a made guy. I think I can't remember. Straighten me out if I'm wrong on that. Don't forget, like and subscribe and give me a review. Thanks, guys.